0: I'm Sarah Rose, and this is the Mind Body Academy podcast. I'm here to teach you how to create better health from the inside out. It's not brain surgery, and I promise you can do it too. What's good, everyone? I hope you're doing amazing. Today, we're going to get right into it. We're going to be answering the new age question people everywhere want to know to gluten or not to gluten (laughs) people often ask me whether they should avoid gluten and why gluten gets such a bad rap so in this episode i want to clear up whether it's another one of those diet fads or something we truly need to be mindful of to be able to enjoy better health the gluten-free stamp has a lot of hype behind it and i remember when it became something consumers started paying attention to and then seeing it on shampoo bottles and skincare products and i was like okay come on this is a bit exaggerated But out of our conversation together today, I think you'll find, as I have, that it typically does live up to its hype, and for a good reason. So first of all, what is gluten? Gluten is a protein found in most grains, including wheat, barley, and rye, the most prominent source being wheat. In flour, gluten is what gives it its doughiness, a property known as viscoelasticity. Think baking gymnastics. It's what makes it moldable and stretchable. One of the problems with gluten is that it can trigger the release of an inflammatory protein called zonulin, which can increase the permeability of the gut by damaging the protein structures that hold together the lining of the gut. When there are gaps in these structures known as tight junctions, food particles then can leak into the bloodstream where they don't belong and trigger an immune response. Your immune system patrols the outside of your gut. So when the gut gets damaged, it can cause a host of problems, including leaky gut. The gut lining acts like a filter and determines what should be coming into your body and what should stay out. When you have a leaky gut, that means things like partially digested food and bacteria, fungi can get into the blood and this sets the stage for systemic inflammation and not feeling so good. It then stimulates various immune cells that amp up their production of chemical mediators of inflammation. Inflammation is the key player in diabetes, autoimmunity, neurodegenerative conditions, so we're talking Alzheimer's, autism, Parkinson's, right, even MS, coronary heart disease, and, and even cancer. So sustained systemic inflammation leads to the degradation of our mental and physical health. Inflammation is really at the crux of pretty much all disease. So in order to not only treat and reverse disease, but also induce better health, we need to be talking about what we can do to bring that inflammation down, to regulate it, and to improve people's overall metabolic health. And that's where investigating, you know, different foods that are causing inflammation in the body becomes so, so, so important. Foods like foods containing gluten. So it isn't just a question of better digestion and weight loss, right? Your mood, energy levels, skin, and so many other aspects of your health are also affected by consuming gluten. When people eliminate wheat and gluten, not only do they typically report weight loss, they also report things like digestive issues and acid reflux resolving, deeper sleep, clearer thinking, better joint health, skin clearing up and lung health. It's all connected. Yet, an estimated 99% of people who have a problem with eating gluten don't even know it. It's not something that's extensively tested for, and so because of that, there are a lot of people ascribing their health problems or symptoms to something else, not gluten sensitivity, which is 100% curable. And by way of example, taking that even a little bit further, in many cases, Something like diabetes can be cured, not just managed, by removing gluten from a person's diet, especially by cutting out wheat. Now, I'm by no means suggesting that cutting out gluten is a panacea, it's not a cure-all, but the health benefits are generally pretty outstanding. Most people's jaws drop when I tell them that whole wheat bread increases their blood sugar to a higher level than sucrose. That's because wheat contains a branching chain of glucose called amylopectin A, which is highly digestible and then rapidly converted to glucose, which is then quickly absorbed into the bloodstream. And that spikes a person's blood sugar and insulin. Insulin is the fat storage hormone. It allows the entry of glucose into the cells of the body, converting glucose to fat. When there's a big whoosh of blood glucose, insulin levels rocket upwards, and fat is deposited, particularly as visceral fat and across the abdomen, which often leads to what has been dubbed a wheat belly. The more these fat deposits accumulate, the poorer your response to insulin, which can cause insulin resistance. When your diet is filled with empty calories and rapidly absorbed forms of glucose like sugar, bread, and pasta, your cells slowly become resistant to the effects of insulin and need more and more to do the same job of keeping your blood sugar level. This is often the precursor to diabetes and again a huge driver of systemic inflammation. When the body is pushed into this overfed and inflamed state, then even though the body has all these excess calories stored on the body as fat, the brain can't sense that. So then what happens is that it responds by craving more food. It's this feed-forward mechanism that then drives weight gain and the decline of overall metabolic health. What men especially need to know is that those fat deposits don't just sit there. That fat tissue produces estrogen, which can lead to moobies, also known as man boobs. The other insidious thing about wheat is that it produces a surge of insulin followed by a precipitated drop. The slope between the high and the low is steep, and it throws your appetite regulating hormones off, it can lead to an all consuming roller coaster of cravings throughout the day, right? Where you're constantly finding yourself thinking about food. And that's often characterized brain fog and fatigue and shakiness when you aren't able to give into those cravings. So that is to say, it stimulates your appetite, leading you to think that you're hungry even when your body doesn't need the extra food. And the implications are huge. Wheat can dictate not only what you crave, but also how much and how often you eat. The idea that we can just eat in moderation under these conditions without walking around feeling hangry is just nuts. So by eliminating gluten and also sugar, it's powerful to recognize that we can actually turn off our cravings and reset our hunger, which makes it much, much easier to sustain certain dietary changes. What all of this points to is that gluten is not just the concern of people with underlying conditions like celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disorder that essentially destroys the small intestine and can lead to lots of digestive issues when it isn't properly managed. So when you're a celiac, that requires the elimination of all foods and often even self-care products containing gluten. So a quick sidebar on this, the elimination of gluten is just really one aspect of intervention because what happens with celiac is there's often damage to the digestive system that can lead to impaired nutrient absorption. So not everyone who gets diagnosed with celiac realizes that it's not just a question of, eliminating gluten, because conventional medicine doesn't always take a deep dive into the nutritional piece. So definitely seek out qualified support with this if you've eliminated gluten, but you're still struggling. Here's the thing. Products made from wheat aren't just increasingly featured as part of our diets. They have come to dominate our diets. Total diet domination. They are staples of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks for most people across the United States and increasingly every part of the globe. We're talking breakfast cereals, granola bars, sandwiches, pastas, pizzas, you name it. Whether it's in the main dish, side dish, or dessert, it's probably in there, and it's even more likely that it's making it into all three. The explosion of wheat products onto the market literally tipped the scales. You don't have to flip back very far through history, through you know your grandparents' photo albums, to remark that obesity wasn't much of a thing even 40, 50 years ago. So what happened? Well, there have been massive changes to the way that we farm and manufacture food. One of the things that we can point to is that the wheat we eat today isn't what it used to be. Today, wheat strains have been hybridized, crossbred, and genetically modified to become more resistant and resilient to environmental conditions and to be more consistent in their commodification at scale. But in the process, they've come out looking more like frankenwheat than wheat wheat because there has been little to no regard as to whether these genetic modifications are even compatible with human health. We don't tend to think about this, but food isn't just calories. Each bite of food programs our body with messages of health or disease. Our dietary choices play such a big role in determining not only how long we live, but also how well we live. So even small genetic tweaks to food can have massive repercussions on our immune systems. Because those changes alter the coded instructions our bodies rely on to operate all their complex metabolic functions that sustain our lives. And we're only just beginning to understand to which degree. There have been thousands of new strains of wheat that have made it onto our food supply over the past 50 years without any real safety testing for human consumption. On top of that, most strains of modern wheat are unable to survive without chemical fertilizers and chemical weed killers. That's kind of bonkers, and the question of human safety around these pesticides is often kept hush and beyond public scrutiny as well. Many of us just aren't aware of how harmful some of these toxins, like glyphosate, get sprayed onto our food are for our health. But I get that for many of you, the idea of removing gluten from your diet sounds about as pleasant as getting a tooth removed without any anesthesia. When you exit out of your diet, it's not uncommon to experience some withdrawal symptoms. On a biochemical level, the wheat today has been engineered and, you know, many of the processed foods that include it have been manufactured to be addictive, to be hyper palatable, to hijack, you know, your neurochemistry. It's important to know this because it's not just a matter of, you know, twisting your rubber arm with willpower to get yourself to stop eating it. It really truly is a matter of detoxing to overcome the food addiction. That often means feeling worse before you start feeling much, much better. The good news is, is that this typically takes just a matter of days or weeks tops. But I get it, your dinner roll or jelly donut hardly look like a bag of cocaine. So people sometimes have a hard time accepting that wheat can be addictive. So let me pop the hood so we can take a look at the mechanism by which it hardwires us for addiction. When we breaks down through the process of digestion, gluten becomes a mix of polypeptides, which have been called exorphins. It turns out that these particular polypeptides can penetrate the blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier is like Fort Knox. It's not entirely impenetrable, but access is highly restricted to protect your brain because it's kind of like the holy grail of the body. We are our brains, And any kind of damage can cause a cascade of downstream health effects. So think of these polypeptides as Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible sneaking in there. When they gain entry into the brain, these polypeptides bind to the brain's morphine receptor, which is the receptor that opiates plug into. They activate the addiction centers of the brain and induce an ultra-pleasurable state of mild euphoria. The other thing to circle back to is that gluten can trigger systemic inflammation. The body is a network. The brain and the body are one integrated system. It's all connected. When the body is inflamed, that can actually lead to something called blood-brain barrier permeability. Blood-brain barrier permeability is like leaky brain. So we talked about leaky gut. Well, we can also have something called leaky brain, and the two are interrelated. Differently than leaky gut here, we're not talking about anything leaking out, but rather things leaking into the brain that aren't supposed to. The research is just starting to scratch the surface of how this ends up impacting brain function. But I don't think we have to wait for all the health education and research to catch up for us to start eating smarter and to buffer against some of the neurological damage that can catch up to us over time. So to gluten or not to gluten? The short answer is that yes, it's generally best to reduce or eliminate its consumption altogether. The long answer is that it depends. There are a lot of factors at play like genetics, the amount of exposure, and whether it's organic, along with the way the gluten is prepared or cooked, like whether it's sprouted and or fermented. It would be total BS for me to advocate a one-size-fits-all framework for nutrition. Not everyone doesn't tolerate gluten, nor do we all need to take the plunge down the rabbit hole of figuring out whether we have an underlying gluten sensitivity. As with any nutritional intervention, it's so, so, so important to be people focused rather than problem fixated. There is some level of individual variability, so the best thing to do is to experiment. Take it out of your diet for a period of time and see how you feel. The ultimate authority on what will work for you and your body will always be your body. If you're not sure what will work for your body, cutting back on bread and cutting out wheat and other sources of gluten is a really great jumping off point. And you'll probably be doing your body and your metabolism a lot of good by avoiding it. Generally, we do do better on a diet that's focused on limiting carbs and eliminating gluten, especially so that we can rehabilitate and condition the health of our guts. What we need to recognize is that the bacteria in our gut and our gut microbiome are determining the set point of inflammation in our bodies. And that is determining how good we feel in body and in mind. Plus the upshot of ditching the Wonder Bread, buns, crackers, and cookies, is that you end up with more room for nourishing real whole foods like nutrient rich vegetables and high quality fats, which people don't usually get enough of. And the key piece out of all of this is getting out there and doing more things that feel good. You have to get your two feet on the ground and make thoughtful experimentation around your nutrition your playground and something you use to enjoy your life more not less it's about trying things and exploring a little bit knowledge is power when you use it for yourself not against yourself too many of you slam yourselves into such a gnarly process for staging these dietary changes that you can't keep it up so as always if you want support in applying any of what you're learning right here on this podcast take advantage of a free consultation with me to help move you into a way of eating that you can actually look forward to by hitting the link in the show notes. Let's start a transformation today. I'll talk to you all again very soon. Kind of wish life came with a refresh button. Join the Genius Body Detox to start looking and feeling your best in as little as 30 days. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit thegeniusbody.com and let's start fresh today.